winter. Hello and welcome to the 41st episode of What We Do in the Winter. This podcast comes from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. And today features an interview with Howard Pittman of Dervik. We talk about his dad, the shop, going to school in Dervik, life and adventures as a young boy in Dervik itself and various characters from his time when he was growing up. At a certain point you'll hear quite a strange buzzing noise just as we start to talk about ghost stories. This was the line being possessed. Actually it was just a fault in the wire but it sounds quite strange. I've left it a little bit sort of atmospheric. Also, um, Howie and I spoke over the medium of Facebook Messenger so it's a little bit um, the sound's a little bit compressed here and there, but I think it's pretty good. You can understand it quite clearly. Today I find myself in Frankfurt, where I am at a film festival, the Lucas Film Festival for Young People, where I'm part of the jury for the film festival, so please excuse the noise of the city in the background. Without further ado, it is with great pleasure that I pass you over to Howard Pittman. Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? Um, well, I'm, I'm Howard Pittman. I'm somebody that obviously loves Mull, but I don't live there anymore. Uh, but I grew up there, and that was um, obviously shaped my uh, entire life. Um, an incredible place to grow up. Every chance I get, I still get back up there to catch up with old friends. Yes. And to see the place, yes. And where were you born? Well, I obviously can't recall it at all. I was only six months old when uh, we upsticked, upsticked and came to Mull. Um, I was six months old, um, but I was born in Eastbourne. Oh, and Eastbourne wow. is a place that um, somebody said to me once, Nobody, nobody's born in Eastbourne, everybody goes there to die. It's full of, full of retired folk. Yes. <laughs> when I was interrailing, I thought I've got to, and this was back when I was about 25, I thought I've got to see this place. And I'd just come back from Spain and Portugal, and I went to um, a very British bed and breakfast in uh, in Eastbourne, and uh, it wasn't this amazing sort of homecoming or anything like that. It was, it was nice, but uh, yeah. not very exciting. And did you have any family in Eastbourne, or was it just where your parents happened to live? No, it's just where they happened to live. I mean, my, my father was, um, he was a journalist at the time, and he was working in Fleet Street, so he was commuting on the train from there. I think it was probably like a lot of people around there and affordable and maybe also a place to live uh, more than, more so than London, but also maybe being close to the sea. That was another attraction. Let's talk briefly about your father then. Um, so your dad is a very uh, wonderful character and I love how his gravestone... <laughs> what do the words on his gravestone say again? Um, it says, I think, I remember I was very worried when I saw, the, uh, I just read the first bit um, obviously, my father didn't know. He hadn't planned what was really on his gravestone. But my mother came up with this and it said, uh, playwright, journalist, which he was. He was, he was these two things. And I thought, oh, God, this would be a bit pompous. Dad would hate this. And then at the bottom, it says, Mull's Rudish shopkeeper, which was <laughs> not something not something he, he aspired to be. But um, it was it was back in the days when people oh, they still have these local ads and the Calmac ferries. And somebody that had obviously crossed swords with my dad in his shop had scrawled at the bottom of his um, advert was Mull's Rudish shopkeeper. Um, so it's kind of, we've always remembered that. 
<laughs> if he liked you, he could be wonderful. But if for some reason you did, you didn't, you didn't get on because it was his own shop. He could basically treat you any way he liked. Uh, <laughs> Yes, that's the wonder of independence of shops. I remember my cousin going in to buy a can of Iron Brew one Sunday morning. He said, don't buy that. That's the most expensive thing in the shop. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So where was um, your dad from originally himself? He was from the East End of London. And we used to kind of, um, I remember meeting a lady in my present work recently. And she said, for some reason, we were talking about railway. And she said, railway which is we, my mother always made fun of my father for, he says, railway, it sounded like railway. And that marked her as a sort of like a, East, a London East Ender too. You yeah. Know, his, yeah, that's where he was from. But uh, yeah. obviously uh, Mull was, well, the interesting thing about Mull for, for uh, my father, I think was, and I think this is what's so good about this series you're doing, because this is capturing, it's capturing stories, it's capturing um, characters, yeah. and that's what I think attracted my dad to all. Maybe more so than the scenery, it was, it was the the community. Yeah, definitely. So your dad's journalism. How did he start as a journalist? You know? Oh gosh, I, I think it was um, his his brother was uh, quite a successful journalist, uh, Robert Pittman. That's my middle name. I helped my father. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Robert sort of died quite young. I don't know if this was one of the reasons why Dad sort of gave up the journalism. It was very much a dog-eat-dog world. I'm sure it still is, and it just wasn't for him. But he did meet some, you know, some interesting people, of course. And then, of course, it also took him to Glasgow, and he worked for the Evening Citizen. And he was—that's maybe where I don't know whether his film interest came then or whether he was interested in films before that but he was filling many roles i'm sure he told me that he he also sort of like created um false letters for the letters page to spice things up a bit but he also <laughs> did uh, i think his most enjoyable thing was writing um, film reviews um, but he of course that brought him to glasgow he loved glasgow he loved the characters of glasgow as well and it's where he met, he met my mum. Ah, so your mum's from Glasgow? Yeah. Well, she's from Paisley. She's from Paisley, of course. But uh, um, yes, this is this uh, this is where they met. So in a way, it's quite nice. I mean, yes, I'm in a city, but at least I'm back somewhere that's uh, important for the family. Yes, I remember he, he had a story about meeting uh, Sean Connery. Oh, wow. Did he say he was nice or was he? How did he... I think he was quite nice. I think they, he was round at um, Sean Connery's flat for this interview and he says, I think there was a Sean, <laughs> hopefully I've got this right, Sean had to sort of, um, grab a bra off the couch and throw it. this was Diane Kilento's bra, I think. Yeah. I think he was not sure if he was married to her anyway, but. Uh, yeah. But anyway, um, so your mum um, coming from Paisley, what what were her folks' story? How did uh, they come to Paisley? How were they from Paisley? Uh, I certainly know that he, 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 you know, they were they did quite well for themselves. And uh, my mother went to Glasgow School of Art, um, where I think she very she worked this out once. She narrowly missed um, teaching John Arch, you know, John Archbold, who obviously came to work on Mull. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, he also, I think, went to went on to study at Glasgow School of Art, but yeah. um, he hated teaching. Really? And of course, back then, maybe especially, that was the, the the sort of main thing you could do, apart from obviously be an artist with your art. Yeah. I don't know if that's changed. <laughs> she always maintains that she hated it. She has, um, I, st I think I've still got it upstairs. 
a belt called the Loch Gelly, which is a you know a, a toss you know two um, kind of tails on it, a leather belt. I don't think she enjoyed using that. Um, I, I don't think you know even with that, it was maintaining order was was hard. Yes, yeah, a difficult thing. So, did she teach um, art when she came to Mull then? I think she occasionally would do that. Um, um, I don't think she was – it wasn't like Colin's mum who was scooting around in a, a scooter and going to the schools um, yeah. on a sort of um, dedicated basis um, doing that. But she also at some point, I remember, because she's always been good at foreign languages. I'm, I'm terrible, you know, which is a bit of a problem, being married to a Pole. But I remember once uh, a few times she would come to Tobamori High School uh, and she was helping teach Spanish for a bit, which, of course, was slightly embarrassing for me. Uh, but, yes, always be. <laughs> and, uh, so you said that the, the people were the draw, partly the draw for your, yes. your folks coming to Mull. How did they first discover Mull from Eastbourne? He, he came up for a story and just fell in love with the place. Maybe also he was looking for a way out of, uh, of Fleet Street, or I think he was back in Fleet Street then because uh, the family had moved back down south. And, of course, that's me being born in Eastbourne. But just, yeah, uh, just loved it. Um, I don't know how much then he, he kind of felt the community or, or got to know the community, but certainly um, you know, that did happen. Do you know what the story was at all? Did he ever tell you what the story was that, that took him there? I think it was some kind of, uh, as Hugh Bull would say, some taff that was, that was living up in Mull that Dad came up to speak to. Um, um, this is, um, I don't know if my, my sister will want to be dragged into this and speak to you. Can I just correct what Howie said at several points? Yeah. <laughs> Thank I, you, Rebecca. I haven't, I haven't done my research for this, this chat. <laughs> it's only it's only forty odd years of research that you need to go. Don't yes, worry, no, uh, don't worry at all. So you've got a sister, you've got a brother, both older mm -hmm. than yourself and yourself. Yes. You come to Mull. Where do you settle in Mull? First of all, we settled in Dervig, and I think before that, I, I just see this from old films. My dad had old cine camera films, silent, of course. Um, I think we used to steal over our do. It was mainly our do, I think, we would stay at. Um, um, but, yeah, it, for me, it was always the, the big house, the Pippin's house, Benelli in Derbyg, in the, in the middle of our street. Yes, yeah. And that's a, a significant location. That's, it's, mm. a, it's a house that looks out. What was it about that house? How did you feel about it as a place when you grew up there? You know, I was, I was just sort of quoting there. I mean, the Madness song, I remember that, you know, coming out in mid-80s, our house, and I, I absolutely loved that house. It just, um, Fort Pittman was how I used to, to think of it. Um, uh, just a, a great old house that kind of, I'm in a, a very modern um, uh, little box here in Glasgow, which is, which is, you know, very cheap to maintain, etc. But it doesn't have... The character it doesn't have the kind of squeaky floors and the kind of rattling windows and uh, yeah. that the old house in Derrick had. And obviously, a shop. You know, it's not everyone that grows up with a shop. Yeah. Yeah. Could you describe for the listener that because it is such a fantastical space and it's now back to just being a house without a shop? But can you describe mm -hmm. what it was like? What's the what was the layout of uh, of uh, Pittman Towers? 
I suppose it is a, it's a long, thin house. I sometimes thought of it a bit like, it's very narrow when you look at modern houses on Mull, um, a bit like being in a railway carriage. And you could go, thanks to Willie McCrone, who did this uh, mum and dad's request, um, oh gosh, a long time ago now, but you used to have to go out the house door along a wee bit and then into the shop door. The two were completely separate. But then um, they decided they wanted to knock through and Willie had to knock through this massive thick wall to get through to the shop and take out some huge boulders. <laughs> just a, just an incredible place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Am I right in remembering that the house was haunted when you were younger as well? I never felt anything sort of like um, frightening. Colin, I remember, came hearing out of the house once. <laughs> and he, he said he felt, he felt something. There. I, I never. Uh, uh, my sister, for my sister, and then it's a, it's a bit of like 1984. My sister just had this. Well, oh, hold on, hold on. Sorry, my signal's just gone funky. Sorry, I do apologise. Talking about ghosts, and it's gone funny. Hold on. That's very interesting. Ah, oh. let's see. Sorry, Harry, I do apologise. Oh wow, something's given me a massive power surge, and I've no idea what that is. Houses in areas always have this reputation, so it was meant to be haunted. The manse and Queenish House, big old Queenish House. But in our house, I think my sister particularly remembers um, where we had before we had this huge infestation of cats that controlled yes. the problem. We used to have um, a rat problem, and uh, she she recalls them scrabbling along in the attic. She remembers hearing them going above her bedroom. She had a bedroom to herself. Um, I can't remember this, so I don't know whether Becca was a light sleeper or what, but um, that fear carries on to this day um, with my sis. I, uh, my first memory, well, one of my first memories of Mull coming there as a teenager was uh, the cats outside your front door. Uh -huh. I just remember yeah. there being like loads of them. It was lovely. It was so cool. My, fa my father, strangely enough, uh, I mean, we've always loved dogs. We always had dogs. Uh, and my mother had, for a while, all three three horses or two horses and a pony. Um, and then, of course, the cats. And I think it started off as one who was called Mother Cat. And she was this mother of, you know, it ended up massive, massive kind of tribe of cats. Um, there was a time, apparently, I used to quite enjoy feeding them. And I'd feed them down in the stable that was actually connected to the house. It's now kind of, I think, kitted out as a kind of living space and I would go up a ladder with their food and go come on cats come on cats and then apparently my dad says I suddenly like turned to fear as they all kind of fell upon me <laughs> 15 of them or something oh my yeah. gosh yes yeah. but it did obviously sort, it, sort, it certainly sorted out the problem with uh, you know the, the rats or the mice or whatever no problems whatsoever after that I imagine yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. so you um Obviously went to school in uh, in Dervik to start off with. What was Dervik Primary like? Um, it was oh god, I, I I feel I think a lot of parents feel nowadays um, wherever they came from they feel that their children don't have the same freedoms as they did when they were young. And for me, a large part of that is obviously my children are they're going to a school where there's three classes of thirty pupils. When I was in Dervik Primary, there were probably for the whole school. 
a little over 30 pupils. Yeah. And obviously, um, it was, you know, uh, the small ones classroom, which was primaries one, two, three, and four, and then five, six, and seven. And quite how teachers could manage these composite classes, I don't know. Oh, it's an incredible thing to see. Yeah, it's still the same now. They they have um, two composite classes, and yeah, Mm -hmm. it's in a very healthy place at the moment, the school. It's wonderful. Yeah. 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 So Mm -hmm. what was, um, who were your peers when you were at school? Uh, my peers were, uh, let me see, Christine Galbraith, um, Ewan McCrone, who else was in my class? It was actually quite a big class. <laughs> I can't uh, um, think who else was in it at the moment, no. Because um, I had, the, yeah, imagine a big class being about six pupils. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. um, no, it was uh, um, great. Um a great place to sort of um, to be, um, and I, I do remember one story because uh, uh, we were recently talking about a nature club at my work from my current job, where um, some children are sent along maybe perhaps too early by their parents, and then they say, "No, no, I'm not ready for this. I can't be without my parents." I remember my mother walking me down to school. I must have been in primary one, and you, I went over the church hill, and there was lots of gorse bushes, good cover on the church hill, and I saw some other pupils there, some pals, and I sort of tried to push my mother into the bush so that my pals wouldn't see my mother was with me because I was embarrassed. Uh, Your poor um, mum. That's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose it's quite appropriate for her being the STV thistle later in life. Yes, yes. That's (laughs) another story as well, of course. So what sticks out from your time at school? Obviously, there were certain brutalities to to Dervig Primary at Mm -hmm. the time you were there. But are there any kind of, like the the drama festival and things like that, are there any memories you have associated with? Yeah, the drama festival, of course, it takes me back to to my father. um, And he loved that opportunity to uh, create plays and... uh, we would, yeah, we would. Oh gosh, it was it was a very competitive spirit. But I I, I admire that about an old school teacher. The you know, high standards. Um, so we were well coached. It was it was great fun. Um, yeah. Uh, so we would, uh, and then through to Tobermory, we would go in the massive church, the massive Aris Hall. Which, yes. Uh, yeah. A live performance, of course. Yep, and we'd usually, I remember, um, Fiona Bow would talk about the, we'd go for sort of like um, a kind of pre, pre-theatre or pre-performance um, dinner at the, oh, the, the, what's it called, the wee cafe behind the, the post office. I don't know if it's still there. Oh, not Gannett's. Um, it was... Um, yeah. oh, I can't it, remember what it's called. Lock and Var, maybe? Okay. It used to be called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. G- going on stage burping then. <laughs> yeah, and we have lots of obviously uh, lots of butterflies too, of course. Yeah, yeah. we watched last night. Georgia and I watched Tang Yang Kipper Bang, which I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's quite nice. That's about children's performances as well yeah. and from the eighties. Yeah, it's a strange one because I don't think it's going to have the like, legacy that it should do because mm-hmm. it's quite isolated in time. It's an eighties nostalgia piece about the fifties. And I yes. think many of the factors that hook a young audience into it are coming out. It's quite it's very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Mm-hmm. So you've got your you get your peers there. Um what was um 
what was it like to grow up in the village itself then? What what did you do for amusement when you were younger in the village? <laughs> well, as I'm always banging on to my kids, and I think it's a problem for all parents nowadays, I was outside. I was outside all the time. Get yourself out there. Um, we were out on the street or we knew, and it's incredible how how well you know your immediate area when you're a child, yes. how well you should know it. I mean, we knew what's called the big, we called the big hill, the, the hill that's absolutely packed with hazel trees behind the school. We knew it like the back of our hands. Uh, we'd be out playing a crazy game, called, for example, called Picks and Shovels, which just involved sending people off to different bits of the street. And you would shout picks and sausages, picks and pineapples. And as soon as you shouted picks and shovels, top of your voice, wherever you were in the village, you had to come hurtling back to, you know, the, the base, the start. And whoever was last was, you know, the next person to go, of course. That's uh, brilliant. Would, yeah. So there was a lot of, obviously there was a bit of, you know, um, where you chap in people's doors and run away and uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. But yeah. it, was, it was great. You never played Shite Light then. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, so, where, where, um, of of the geography around you as a kid, where were the bits that were just the real highlights? Did like, did, did you ever go underneath the bridges and things like that at all? Yeah, we would go down to again. It, it, I love the scale of things, how things change. Um, you know, the the big we call it the big bridge. Obviously, there's the wee bridge in the village, but then the one down at the sort of like, um, you know, where the Bellart flows into Lacoon. That was the big bridge. So we'd go under there and there was a kind of a concrete sort of bit under there, um, very smooth and that was pretty slippery. Um, obviously, as well, um, my father liked to get out on a Sunday. He'd sort of try, well, try and close the shop a wee bit earlier and we'd go on a, a, on a picnic. Um, so that, that would be anywhere from Langemal Beach, that was a favourite, or even right way down to Croggan, uh, Sometimes Carsig Look Buoy, that was a popular one. So these oh, places were magical. Special. Yeah, Loch yeah. Buoy is, yeah, definitely. Carsig is wonderful, but Loch Buoy is something else totally. I, I love Loch Buoy. As a kid, then, growing up in the village, you're, you're, you're very much part of a, the hub of the village. Who for you were the significant characters growing up? Who were you afraid of, dare I ask? <laughs> Apart from my mother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who was I afraid of? I don't know. I'm trying to think if there was anyone I was afraid of. I mean, there were certainly characters that we all knew about. Um, Johnny Nan. Yes. Uh, wonderful character. Um, mm. uh, what is great, of course, is that, um, you know, how quickly when you start talking to people that, have, that you've grown up with or even were older than yourself in the village, how you can quickly, oh, God, remember them. You know, you could almost forget people and then you start mm. chatting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trying to think of anyone that. Uh, what about the Bongan? Was the Bongan around when you were wee? Kirst oh, Kirsty. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, Kirsty was there, yeah. Uh huh. Um, wasn't <laughs> And our wee wellies, our wee old wifey wellies, and our, our house coat. I think she wore a house coat just as um, Nelly did, just across from us. A house coat was a popular, popular item back <laughs> in the <laughs> I'm trying to think of. Um, Anyone I was particularly afraid of, uh, don't, I can't think so. I, I don't think there was anyone. Uh, and was there anyone that you particularly you relished any chance to get to spend time with them, like Willie McCrone or anyone like that? Was there someone you were like, oh, yes, it's them? <laughs> 
Well, I think in our teen years, as I said, I've already mentioned him. Johnny Nan was just such a character. Uh, Willie, of course, um, did probably more to our house uh, than any other person in the village. He was always called on uh, as a trusted tradesman and he'd come in and uh, uh, fix this, fix the kitchen up or whatever. I also really enjoyed uh, when I was younger with my father, and I think it still happens, the deliveries, the food deliveries. People would, I don't know if they do it online nowadays um, and put the order into Doogie's, but people would phone up and dad would box up all their stuff and they'd set off. There was a Toloisk run and there was a Calgary run. And I loved going along in those because, yes, we would meet some characters there. Yeah. Definitely. Who stood out from that time then? Um, I particularly remember, I remember um, Colin's granny, oh, Granny Hutty. Yeah. Uh, so she was, I remember, I loved the kind of sense of, you know, calm and time. She had an old clock on the on the wall that had a, a sort of a ticking. And I would quite often either sit in there with dad, and dad would obviously chat with uh, Mary for ages. I would either play with Colin or I'd be in there too. Who else? Uh, let me see, De Gaulle, down at, um, you know, just down past where you are. Yeah. He, that was probably a place I would love to go to because he had this amazing knack of getting his dogs to do tricks. You know, we had dogs, but our dogs would never have been able to sort of resist biscuits that were in front of them. But he would say, that's for the cat. You know, you're not allowed to have that. And the dog would sit there and sit, you know, very well behaved, sit back. Um, oh. I'm trying to think. Well, some, yeah, there were other things. I mean, I remember we'd end up going to Calvary Castle. We'd sort of like take stuff down to the uh, sort of like the, the kitchen, which is very low down in the building. I'm trying to think of the Toloist run. There was a, an old boy. Um, oh, gosh. An old boy that was an old farmer. And he seemed to his um Shopping seemed to kind of consist mainly of light bulbs and loaves of bread. Uh, That's a crunchy sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah. That uh, <laughs> no, was great, great fun. Oh, I remember funny. Dad letting me, I remember we'd be driving along in his old, um, I don't know if that was actually one of these, um, run. Uh, one of whether he always had his transit van for that, but I remember him letting me do the gears once. He would do the clutch and he'd say, like, you can pull that the, the, the gear stick back there or whatever. But those are fun, fun times. Lovely. Uh-huh. So that takes you, let's take us now towards your teenage years then. What was it like being a teenager in, in Dervik? Um, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Yes. I, I sometimes think of, when I think of, uh, um, it'd be interesting to see how it works for my boys, but that was my kind of maybe the best time of my life. But I'm still having fun, of course. Yeah. But uh, for my sister, maybe the best time, I, and she would probably agree, was when she went to university. Right. And she met a lot of people there, like minded people there. Yeah. But for me and Mal, my late teens, oh, it was, we had a, you've probably heard of the Vortex, which was a kind of yes. a caravan at the bottom of the garden uh, that. We didn't had you know been there maybe for about ten years when we sort of took um, ownership of it me and my friends and it was kind of a gang hut um, I suppose um, and we had a there was this flimsy power cable this extension lead that was kind of held aloft from the stable and then it would take you to the caravan and it was quite often be pairing a stereo a television possibly a heater too for goodness uh, sake and if the party got too loud ever. 
Um, there were times when I have a wee battle with my dad. The dad would stoot out in his dressing gown to the stable, unplug it, and I'd go running from the caravan, plug it back in again. Uh, but yes, that is great. That's a great, great place. So, who were the people that, <clears throat> that that made their way to the Imperial Vortex? Oh, the, well, the Imperial Vortex. I think it was probably, and it's somebody you've chatted to already. It was probably Al Al Morrison. That came up with the name, the Imperial Vortex. It, it's a kind of Flash Gordon reference, of course, uh, for those that are interested. Um, and um, we, it wasn't just it wasn't just a place we'd go to after the pub on a Thursday night. That was the Jimmy and Angus night. It was also a place where we would just teenagers hang out a lot. They need to hang around and talk shite. Yes, that's what you do when you're a teenager. Yeah, and we would hang out there um, for hours. And, it, you know, as I say, it wasn't always, you know, parents would always think, oh, my gosh, what are they doing down there? Are they smoking? Are they boozing? Yeah. Uh, sometimes, but most of the time, just sitting and talking rubbish. Yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. You can feel yeah. the legacy of the the affection and friendship that people have from that period. It's mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful. So who were the, yeah, who were the characters that would appear from uh, from near and far to go to the Imperial Vortex? Well, it would be like, the, well, there was the Inner Sanctum. I won't go through all their, their kind of names. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you their proper names. I won't give you their kind of... <laughs> names of power. <laughs> uh, there was uh, myself, Al. There was Colin, Colin mm-hmm. Morrison. Um, there was Peter McCrone. Yes. Uh, which was another interesting thing, which, which makes me think of... Um, a thing about Derby, which I like, a small community. Um, yes, Ewan was the same age as me, uh, Pete's big brother, but in small communities, you hang out, you're forced to hang out with people of all different age groups. Yes. And it, I think it's good for you. Um, and so Pete was probably my, you know, my best friend yeah. when I was, he was always there. So Pete was there. He was the youngest member of the Inner Sanctum. Um, who have I missed? Did I get Gavin? Gavin, Al's big brother. Yes, and I think that's all five of us. But there were, there were always other people there too. I mean, you and himself, you and McCrone, who I referred to, he'd be there sometimes. Uh, there were various girls that we kind of lured in there too, but nothing ever, you know, terrible going on. No, that's um, good. Yes, yeah. we, were, we were terribly shy. Um, I so. Um... Obviously, your first few years of high school were spent in Tobermory High. Right. Mm-hmm. What was what was Tobermory High like for years one? Was it young to, one to four that you were there? Yes, years one to four. Um, it's funny when I see, you know, as I say in my job, I, I work with, with children of this age. When I see first year uh, pupils nowadays, they are tiny. Yeah. You're 12, 13. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was probably, being quite small, I was probably even tinier than most. And you get you don't get a, a long period of time. You just get one day of sort of trial of the big school before you went there after the after yes. the summer holidays. Yeah. Um, of course, it's a very small school, uh, but um, I enjoyed it, and it was uh, <laughs> it was half an hour each way there in the bus. Ian Morrison, the bus. Oh yes, um, yeah. I think by the time maybe I was in third or fourth year, I graduated to the back seat. Um, you'd start nice. off near the front. I also remember being challenged because I was well known for chatting all the time, being challenged if I could kind of um, shut up by some of the older kids for the, the full half hour, then they would give me some sweets, but I never managed it. Oh. Always talking. Oh. Always talking, yes. And who were the older kids at that point then, those sweet rationers? Oh. 
there would be people like, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, John McCrone. Oh, yeah. Again, another member of the McCrone uh, clan. Um, big brother to Ewan. Um, I don't think uh, Ulam was in high school when I was there. He was in school with my brother. I think my brother was just out by the time I got to high, um, high school. Uh, who else was in there at that time? Oh, of course, the memory. The memory. So what were the highlights of, of going to school in Tobermory, would you say? What was good about um, Tobermory? Was it lunch times? What, was, what did you do that was different? Uh, that was different. Um, yeah, of course, there was different subjects. I remember um, coming back once after, you know, we had great teacher. It's funny how the teacher can cover both these subjects from sometimes more than two. Uh, we had a great teacher called Mr. Gold who did um, history and geography. And I remember coming back from first year back to home and said to my mother, I was telling my mother all about the First World War as if she'd never heard this before. Yeah. Like, Mom, do you know this? Uh, so I found that interesting, yeah. the fact that you were suddenly covering a, a, a huge range of subjects. Um, what else? Of course, yeah, there was a trip down downtown. And mm -hmm. I think that Bray, the post office Bray has recently made it in, uh, it's found fame, hasn't it? It's the steepest street in Scotland. Supposedly so, yes. Yeah, it's the Widowmaker, we call it. <laughs> <laughs> I ran it many times. I remember being yes. down Main Street in the pub one night, going, "Oh, I've forgotten something in the house," and ran back up and ran back down. It's like, thank goodness, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking of. <laughs> there's, there's an event. There's a there's a good event. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you would you would usually go downtown. I think pretty much every day you would go downtown. I can't remember if the weather stopped us um, for for something uh, for lunch. And it's crazy. The I remember for a while the the corner shop. You know, over near the Mishnish, yeah. the corner shop used to do um, pot noodles were all the rage for a while. And they were, they didn't have a proper one of these pot noodle machines where it had yeah. a kind of, it was controlled. I think you would hand over your pot noodle and they would provide the boiling water from a kettle in the back. <laughs> um, but, and then you would go to, yeah, I think it was called Margaret's Middle, halfway along the street, there was a, a sweet shop. You'd get your quarter. Yeah. Of, um, mouse shredding, what they called again, those Cola cubes, yeah, they would oh, yeah. Your mouth, yeah, those things, yeah, and which I'm glad to see are still about. You know, there's hot those sweets called, um, or oh, they're kind of aniseed but really, really hot. Oh, yeah, you, um, you had to sort of keep that in your mouth, yeah, I like them, yeah. yeah. Um, they're called hot tamales, the American version, <laughs> I think that's there, yeah. So, yeah. At, at the age of 15 or 16 you then went to Oban to go to uh, yes. high school there we talked to quite a few I've talked to quite a few people about their experience in Oban but is there anything that stands out for you about the experience what was it was it a daunting thought to go there or was it okay it definitely was it was daunting um, because obviously there's this oh you're going to beaten up but no no I never never was in any trouble yes there was a it's called I think it's called the radiator it's a massive old radiator in this school it was the old part of the school uh, where all the kind of island folk would hang out there were some that kind of integrated more, maybe those from Dura that had been going there uh, to Oban since they were in first year. They were maybe a bit more integrated, but we would tend to hand out, hang out at this big radiator in Oban High School. Um, but no, no, never fears, uh, no fears from a safety. And um, what I loved was the place, the accommodation we had. We were out at, um, oh, what's it called again? Out at the hostel, out, um, oh, let me see. 
it's gone. It's gone. But the girls' hostel was in town. They were kept very firmly, yes. very well apart. Yeah. Yeah. Host, hostel discos, again, the boys and girls were, well, they weren't kept well apart, but if you were ever caught smooching at the side, you were kind of tapped on the shoulder and told to get up dancing. Oh, again. man. And they, they patrolled, they would police the kind of entrances to the, the accommodation very well at these times. Yeah. <laughs> and um, are there uh, are there any good embarrassing stories that you could tell? Let me see good embarrassing stories from Open High. Yes. Um, oh, let me see. Let me see. Oh, <laughs> um, well, I do remember going to. Um, she was my first girlfriend. I think I remember going to, and a wonderful name. A wonderful name of well, I'm not going to give you her name, but. The cinema had a wonderful name. I think it might be that name again. For a while, it was called Boring Old Highland Theatre or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But back then, it was called The Phoenix. Yes, that's what it's called Open again Phoenix. now, Open Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Phoenix Cinema. I remember going to see um, oh, Big Trouble in Little China, and then we went again for another date to see Highlander. Oh, and, well, there can uh, be only one, I suppose. Yeah. So, I remember she was a wee bit younger than me, and I remember being incredibly embarrassed and feigning a sort of yawn to sort of like put my arms outstretched and put them behind them and I could swear she was laughing at me. Uh, I just, I remember that. It's lovely. Uh, and of course it's got Sean in it as well, who we were talking yeah. about earlier too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk a bit about film then. Film was really important growing up in Dervig. It seems particularly yeah. more so Dervig than anywhere else, and a lot of that's down to your dad. Can you say a little yes. bit about what happened there with films and uh, Dervig? Well, again, it was my, my father being able to, um, I suppose, in, in, indulge uh, one of his, his passions. Um, but I suppose it was a lot of work too. He bought himself, um, I don't know whether there was possibly some funding from the the whole committee, but got hold of some two projectors, which you need, of course, to run a film. You have to have one, as soon as one school finishes and one, you have to have one set up on the other just to start synchronise the two. Uh, a huge screen. Um, it was my brother, who's older, six years older than me and more technical, who was in, helped my father a lot with that, but... I would just usually just turn up and get into the get into the pictures for nothing, and maybe maybe be able to snaffle a cornetto too or or a chalk eyes. Uh, but I just <laughs> wonderful, you know, um, some of the films I saw. And uh, for example, we were I think um, uh, one of the sort of school trips, uh, maybe in primary seven or possibly the whole school was allowed to go and see a Bond film. Um, I think it was, um, what's it called again? a Roger Moore one, Moonraker. Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I'm sure there were perhaps a wee bit inappropriate. Dr. Holly Goodhead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, no, um, I remember seeing, like, for example, say Saturday Night Fever, which I was probably far too young to see. Oh, it's, my, it's a brutal film. It is brutal, but it's interesting when you're... My father did make a good point. Um, or A lot of these things go over your head. I think when yeah. you're um, young, you're not that sensitive to some of these things. You, I, I just remember the, the ridiculous dancing. And I remember going down to the... Sort of like the being in the garden after the film and Nick and myself doing these ridiculous dances where you're sticking your hand up in the air. Um, and then, of course, um, Dad would... You know, he would sort of try and... Yes, you could indulge, you could sort of 
get a film in that he thought, oh, I'm, I would, I'd like to see that. Or mm-hmm. my sister, who, who who's loved, has a great passion for older films, would want to see. But come rally time, it had to be something like Convoy or The Cannonball Run or... Yeah, it had to be or anything with Burt Reynolds, really, you know. So it's for the Mustachioed fan club. <laughs> Not Deliverance, though, I'm presuming. I've just remembered something else about this. Of course, you must have heard this. But um, back in the day before video came out, before obviously the dreaded internet that's allowing us to do this, of course, you know, men would have to go to, in a, in a city, they would go to um, the, the X-rated cinema. Yes. But that wasn't something that was available on Mull. But my father would sometimes not, he'd never show an ex, you know, he'd never show a porn film, but he showed stuff, stuff like Lark House, Last Tango in Paris, for example. Oh my and goodness. Word had got out that this was a wee bit raunchy in places. So people would <laughs> turn up from as far away as Tobermory, I think, to, to see this. And I think, I'm, I'm sure he told me that some people say, like, when, when is the dirty bit? You know, I'll go to the pub for a while, you know, <laughs> so they don't have to. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's quite a thought. Then it's the worst, it's the sleaziest film in the world. Oh. And well, well, I'm right in remembering that your dad was also in films as well that were filmed on uh, uh he would like he'd like to have got a part in he tried to get a part in a, it's not the best film. I mean the best film obviously well, I was about to say obviously for us. Yes, of is, course. Uh, is when Eight Bells Tall, the best film on Mull, but for many, the, the most tasteful one is uh, um, uh, I, know where, I Know Where I'm Going. Yeah. But uh, there was one, have you ever seen, uh, oh, what's it called again? The one with Betty Davis. Madam Sin. Uh, that's it, Madam Sin, yes. And um, Dad tried to get a part in that. Um, but I think <laughs> there was my mum always laughed at him for this. I think his head was too big for the, the kind of military uniform that uh, had. Fantastic. He was close, yeah. but not close enough. And another wee story about that. And again, it's it's maybe people have you know we've become we've all become more sophisticated nowadays. But back then, Dad remember showing the film, and of course they do an establishing shot of outside Glengorm Castle. Then they cut to the interior. And it's done out like a kind of Japanese-style pagoda. Yeah. And people were people were saying to my dad, "My God, I didn't know <laughs> Glengorm Castle was like that inside." But of course, people wouldn't be fooled by that nowadays. But <sighs> back then, um, yeah, we, we all were we were all more innocent. Yeah. <sighs> So after your days uh, in in Mull, uh, you came to go to university. What do you choose to do at university? Well, of course, I'm a, a rag bag of things, really. I, um, I didn't go to university, first of all. Um, I came down, went to uh, Langside College and sort of like got the hires. Maybe I had too much fun over, you know, those sort of late teenage years. Um, so got the, the exams that I'd missed. Um and then, for some odd reason, thought may- maybe I'd try and do a course uh, based on tourism. So I did that for a while. Um, but I think I was always always missing Mull, even then. And then I came back to Mull for quite a while. Um, what did you do in Mull? 
Back on Mull, as most people do, uh, a variety of things. I worked at um, Calgary Farmhouse Hotel right from the beginning, uh, which uh, everything from being a waiter to, I remember my first day there actually, I turned up in waiting gear, smart black trousers, etc. and Matthew sort of handed me a paintbrush and said, like, okay, can you finish room nine or whatever? So I was, uh, <laughs> I think painting one of the rooms. Uh, but I was, oh, yeah, so there was also, once the rooms were all ready and up and running and there were guests there, I remember doing cleaning, uh, cleaning the bedrooms at the weekends with uh, Linda Bow. Oh, yeah. Uh, being a waiter in the restaurant as well. So, yeah, quite a lot of, quite a lot of uh, time was spent there. And how was it coming back to, to Mull uh, in your early 20s, having been away? What was it like? Or your late teens? What was it like? Well, I was never away that long. I think every chance I got, um, you know, nowadays, of course, uh, you know, uh, when you're working, it's harder to get leave than when you can just bunk off college or there's lots yeah. of holidays. Totally. But I was never away for that long, so it wasn't too much of a culture shock. I think because Mull's always been um, deep in sort of in my heart, it was never kind of oh gosh, I've got to, can't get wait to get out of here. Yes, I think from growing up in Mull. Um, I find cities quite exciting. It's quite yeah, exhilarating. Off the train in Queen Street. Um, I remember another thing. I remember actually from growing up in a in a small place was I was lucky enough to be taken to Paris, Madrid, and places like that by my mother when I was around ten or whatever. Wow. Bit because my mother just couldn't get my father out of the shop. Couldn't get him really? away from the shop. So I was taken to these places. I remember going to big cities like Madrid and Paris. And being quite nervous because you'd hear sirens, you'd hear police sirens because it was a big city. Yeah, totally. And of course, you don't hear these things very often. And if you do, it's somebody that you know. Or, um, so I remember that. Yeah. But yeah, cities are very exhilarating places. Yeah, no, I can see the draw, definitely. With them, so am I right in remembering that your, your, your dad and your mum have a great affection for Venice as well? Yes, yes. Um, that was, oh yes, of course, apart from, aside from my, my time at Calgary Farmhouse, I um, I suppose it was, I helped my father in that respect. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to do with my life, I suppose, at that time, but my father would take massive long um, holidays, six weeks maybe at a time. Mum um, and dad would head to Venice. Wow. Um, I would run the shop. Ah. Um, yes. How was so, that being in charge of the shop? Was that responsible or was it? It was, it was, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I, I certainly know that um, my, my, my current job, I'm outside a bit. I get to move around. I'm not a classic shopkeeper in that I get a bit footloose. Um, but I did like the fact, again, as my father liked with his shop, total creative freedom. So I could put on soul music yes. that I love. Yeah. I suppose I could sometimes shut up at lunchtime and nip off to Tobermory. But no, you meet a lot of interesting people, and it was always interesting when people came through the that low door into the gloom of the shop, and they were either people absolutely petrified and wanted a standard shop yeah. with standardised shelving, and other people, of course, just loved it. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, I did love the bookshop aspect of it. I thought it was just wonderful. I would lose myself for hours in there, and uh, I remember buying a copy of uh, the biography of uh, Lupetto Men, the, mm -hmm. the, far, the farty man. And 
I said, oh, I was so chuffed to get that. I've always wanted to get this. And really, it's it's quite popular. Your dad saying it was like, oh my goodness. Because I went in again a few weeks later and there it was again. He had it in repeat order. It's brilliant. It was uh, complete with stove dust. Yes. Oh, yes. So you mentioned there about music. How did you discover your music? I don't know how I got into soul music as much. I think maybe for me, I've, it's interesting with Al, who you've talked to. Al is a great one, a, a, a wordsmith, and he 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 knows all the lyrics. Yeah. Sometimes for me, I would know I wouldn't know the lyrics that well, but I, I'd love humming the tunes. Yes. It's a tune of a song. Um, I remember him him laughing at me. I think it's Wonder Woman, uh, singing Wonder Woman, and I thought it was make a make a lion tell the truth. You know, she was that fearsome. She'd make a lion tell the truth as opposed to make a liar tell the truth. Um. So for me. I mean, but soul music, I don't know. So perhaps it was because soul music, a lot of soul music, the lyrics aren't that, um, uh, don't know. Uh, it's about the underlying connection of yeah, the music rather yeah, than the actual yeah, surface yeah, of the top. A lot of the time it's the music. Um, but my brother was a great influence. And so were Al and Gav, of course, coming up uh, from uh, even near the metropolis of London. But my brother just liked every single kind of, 80s pop music he could get his hands on incredible collection of music as i said earlier on you're one of the people that understands the nature of the landscape on mull the best that i've ever chatted to mm-hmm. what let's talk about like queenish even like out towards mm-hmm. uh queenish point with the standing stone there and that how can you describe what that means to you how this landscape inspired you and how you connect to it in some way well, um, I used to, you know, um, it's the great, it's great Queenish because you can, of course, as a teenager or even before that, you could, you don't need a car. You could walk down there. And there's a great story. Uh, I don't know how, whether it just came from my mother's mind, but the, you know, the big, um, is it called the Lady Stone? Or yeah. that's kind of got a wee fence around it now. She used to say at night she would kind of come alive and come stomping down to the village if you want to sleep or in your bed. Uh, but Lovely. I, I love Queenish. Um, I mean, I walked there recently with Al when I was up there. Um, and just because it does, it gets you uh, right to the point there, gets you right to the sea. Uh, you look across to, of course, Croig. You look out to Col and Tyree. And our, one of my favourite views, which is strange, one of my favourite views on Mull is obviously is, is of the mainland. It's Ardnamurchan. Yeah. Uh, so you can see that just as you come close to Mingri. It's the oldest state, I suppose. You know, you can always tell, or you've got a good chance of telling an oldest state because you have these amazing um, specimen conifer trees that are massive. You can see them; for, they're so much taller than anything else there. Um, so that makes it more interesting too, as well as the haunted big house, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. You know? Do you know what is that about? So, why do you think we connect? So, you're someone who works outdoors and works about facilitating people to understand the outdoors more why do we connect with the outdoors do you think what is it specifically about the geographies of Mull that we connect to because each one is different Loch is different to Queenish yeah. Calgary is different to Croy it's all different what is it about this place that, that, that we connect with what is it I don't know I, mean, I think you're out there so so quickly um, I, I love the even in, a, even in the, the sprawling metropolis of Derby I love the fact that it's so quiet um, I love the. F- I remember we'd meet. Um, usually, it was trying to meet young ladies, but uh, we'd go. We'd go wandering out of the village, all of us together, and 
if they, if they'd grown up in a city, they were frightened because suddenly there were no there was no light. Yeah. They were away from the streetlights, but little did they realize they were far far safer, even with us. Yeah. <laughs> than um, they would be in a city. Yeah. Um, where it was everything streetlit. Um, it's not just what you see with your eyes, of course, on an island. It's or anywhere, any uh, great place where you're outdoors. It's the sounds. I didn't think when I was growing up. I didn't think, oh, that's a curlew. I just knew that sound. And later through my work, I got to know that was definitely the sound of a curlew you hear in Lochuen. Um, It's the smells of the seaweed that we were talking about earlier. It's the smells of um, the dip sheep. It's the sort of the, the noise, that pesky noise they make in the middle of the summer when they're trying to get their, their young. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's another thing I love about Dervig, of course, because you couldn't even imagine that in Tobermory. I love the fact you get, you still get it. You get sheep wandering up and down the village. I think it's, it, it's also given me, I mean, just very quick, very briefly, it's given me, growing up there, it's given me, you do get some people involved as a as countryside rangers that are too much like tree huggers. They don't realise how the countryside works. Yes. But having worked with, for example, Hugh Bow and his daughter Fiona, yeah. um, I understand that farming, you have to have a kind of, you can't be too soft. I remember we were helping with the dipping once and this old yow goes into the, the dip um, and they, they don't go in willingly when they've been in before. <laughs> that's, the, that's the key sign. But... Um, he kind of came out, staggered, croaked, keeled over, and died. Yeah. And Hugh, Hugh just goes, aye, where there's life, there's death. And, you know, just got on with it, um, which, you know, you, you just have to. Um, yeah. You have to if you're going to be a, a farmer. You yeah. can't be too uh, uh, sentimental about these things. Yeah. And so it allows me to kind of understand, you know, and talk with people that um, make a living in the countryside. What what was it that came to uh, make uh, allow you to leave Mull or make you want to leave Mull um, latterly? It was um, because again there was another time I went off to, and it, ultimately it was useful to me. I went off to college just outside here to study uh, to be a countryside ranger. I didn't use it immediately. Right. Uh, I remember came back to Mull, and before that I was roofing for a good while which I liked uh, because it was physical, it was outdoors. And then that summer that I met my Asha, yeah. <laughs> who used to, be my, to be my wife, that summer I was helping uh, build um, agricultural sheds. It wasn't exactly to do with my um, degree, yeah. but ultimately meeting Asha, who'd come up to work at Calgary, which is where I used to work. Ah, right. I didn't realize you'd met here. I yeah. thought you met in Glasgow. Right. No, no, no. We met there. Um, I think the first time I laid eyes on her, I was I was concerned because she was she was waitressing that night. I was in the kitchen just helping out as KP, and she was in tears. Um, but I think it's because it was such a shock to her. She had come all this way from Poland, and it wasn't easy then. You had to come from Stansted. You couldn't get a direct flight to Glasgow. Stansted. Then I think it was possibly a train up to all the way up to Oban. Then, and, and she'd grown up in a large town. Yes. And she was suddenly in this out of the way place, and and I, I, I didn't know. Just felt it, it was it was hard to see her suffering. Uh, but I, it was it wasn't until later in the pub with a wee bit of Dutch courage and also a wee bit of a, a prod from Pete. Yeah, um, that helped sort of kind of bring us together. Uh, 
But um, yeah, that was it. The summer of two thousand and five. It was. Yes. Gosh, oh lovely. Wow. And mm-hmm. uh, so, how long how long were you together on Mull for before you moved off to Glasgow? Then she was. Oh wait a minute. Yes, at that point, I hadn't quite finished my my degree course down at Auchincroft outside Ayr. So she was actually on Mull longer that summer than I was. I had to go back down. So yeah, we had a period of maybe about three four months uh, together, and then she had to go back to Poland. And yes, we stayed in touch and I was over building sheds. So I remember building sheds over in Ardnamurchan with John Finney, a marvellous man that sadly passed away recently. So we pl- made the plan that I was going to go and see her for New Year. Lovely. And of course, this was kind of, you know, uh, worrying because you haven't seen We'd actually been apart longer than we'd been together at that point. We didn't know how it was going to work. I was also worried that her father was um, quite high up in the Polish police. <laughs> 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 but he he was lovely. He was lovely. They, they um he drove the car uh, and uh, when they came to meet us, they have to drive quite away from their large town to collect me from Poznan. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, the rest the rest is history. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, there's so much more we could talk about. Um, we could talk about uh, your dad and the Little Theatre, but I think that's maybe worth mm-hmm. saving for uh-huh. another time. Maybe try and do something on the Little Theatre itself at uh-huh. some point. Yeah. Um, I know there's yeah, there's lots of people who'd be interested in that. So, well, before we do wind up, is there anything? What is, what would you say that Mull has given you? You say it's it's at the base of of who you are. What would you say that Mull has given you that that inspires you and and drives you on? To this day, I think I don't know how much. Yeah, I think it's probably a large part Mull. It's part my, my father. Mm-hmm. What my father loved about Mull, I forgot to mention earlier, was he loved the fact that he was an honest man. And yeah, sometimes that's a bad thing, but there was no bullshit about him. And um, I think he liked that about Mull, the character of Mull, and people of Mull. They they don't tend to talk rubbish. You know, yes. they, they tell yes. it like it is. Sometimes people take a while to get to know you, uh, but when they do, it's you know you're you're accepted. Yeah, that's a large part of it. Uh, this kind of honesty, um, fun as well, um, yeah. great stories. Um, people uh, just know it, a sense of belonging. I think um, of uh, I mean, what a marvelous as I mentioned earlier as well. Um, it's just this worry that my children won't have as good a an upbringing as I had, as good a well, hopefully a, a decent upbringing, but hopefully not, but probably not quite as much fun, uh, yeah. because um, uh, you know, for example, my father's shop obviously sold booze yeah. and cigarettes. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think we can leave it. We can leave that to people's that's imagination. A, that's a chapter itself, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the yeah. that's the explicit version of the podcast. But yes, I. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's it's a just a a, beaut- a beautiful place. I mean, obviously a beautiful place, but a good size. It's a size that, um, even though I've ventured over it many times, there's still bits I'd like to see. Yeah. Uh, totally. I often think, not that you ever want to get too competitive about these things. Um, you know, people talk about Aaron being Scotland in miniature, but for me, Mull has got a little more because it has this incredibly inundated coastline. You know, um, so you can get so many different perspectives. You can go over one side, you can go way down to 
um, near Finnefort and then look across Loch Streeton to uh, yeah. the wilderness uh, and all the islands dotted around it as well, of course, um, which Aaron doesn't have. Um, no, it's a very special place. Mm-hmm. Home. <laughs> I'm doing my bit for the tourist board here. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I like Mal. It's nice. Thank you so much, Harry. I really, really appreciate it. And that was lovely to spend time chatting. As I'm away from home and in a bit of a hurry, I'm going to um, not say too much, so please excuse me. And I've not prepared this text, so it might sound more off the cuff than usual. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you to all of those of you who have been in contact. And uh, a special thanks to those of you that tell me how you listen to the podcast. <laughs> it's been quite fascinating. Uh, I'm really keen. Goodness me, cities are noisy compared to islands. Listen to that. Anyway, uh, I've really enjoyed hearing from people uh, how they listen to the podcast and a special shout out goes to the gentleman who weightlifts whilst listening to the podcast. <laughs> I think that's that's quite something. But I really appreciate those of you that say that you listen to the podcast before you fall asleep at night. That's, that's really brilliant. I mean, it's quite dull, I guess, but <laughs> I'll take that as flattery. Thank you very much. I'm really, really chuffed that you feel so comfortable with it that you can do that and that it sends you to sleep. And a big thank you to Caroline, especially for your donation to the podcast. I really appreciate that. It's very kind of you. If you want to support the podcast, you're more than welcome to do so. You can do so via PayPal. You'll find inter- um, you'll find the information on the web on the website whatwedointhewinter.com. And if you want to leave a review or a rating on whichever service you use to listen to the podcast, please feel free. That would be really great. Also, I'd like to dedicate this episode to the memory of Jackie O'Neill, my mother-in-law. She was an utterly wonderful person, and I couldn't have wished her a better mother-in-law. And she was a wonderful grandmother for her son. She'll be greatly, greatly missed. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, all the best. Shinakate, <laughs> Murantang. Dankeschön. Tschüss.